Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Remember the story about Nicodemus, how he sought an interview with Christ, and he came to him at night. Nicodemus wanted to talk about um, the things that he saw wrong in the church of his day, the things that he didn't think were quite right, but he had no, he did not in the least think that he had a problem in his life. He thought as far as he was concerned, that he was accounted righteous and heaven was his home. So he came to Christ to talk about the things that he saw wrong in the church, the things that he would like to change in others, but he saw no need of changing himself, none whatsoever. So he was startled and surprised when Christ said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was just blown away. He didn't know how to respond. Are you trying to say that I'm a sinner? And he couldn't entertain that thought, so he went to something else. He says, how can I go back to my mother's room and be born again? He wanted to discuss something else because he didn't like the idea that he was a sinner and needed to be born again and stop sinning. That startled him and really shook him. And with that in mind, that's the start for my discourse this morning. What is the true definition of sin? A terrible doom awaits the sinner, and therefore it is necessary that we know what sin is in order that we may escape from its power. John says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Here we have the true definition of sin. It is the transgression of the law. And the question is, is this the only definition given in Scripture? You're going to find many people who say this is not the only one. And then this one is often ignored. And others are brought forward. But is this the only definition given in Scripture? Now, we want to understand what sin is, that it is the transgression of God's law. This is the only definition given in the scriptures. So what has separated us from God? Is it our fallen nature? You can hear that quite often. What has separated us from God? 
In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. If there's any sin, any known sin, anything in our lives that we know we shouldn't be doing, you might as well not pray. Let that sink in. If there's any known sin in your life, the only prayer that you should be praying is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Until that's done, God doesn't listen or hear. Not that he can't. But he isn't going to pay attention to the prayer of someone who is knowingly sinning. And I'm not sure that we always pay attention to that or think about it. We get the idea that if we pray, God will answer and something will happen. But if there's sin in our life, he doesn't listen. And if there's sin in our life, there's a different spirit in our life. It's not the spirit of Christ. It's very, very important, I'm learning, that we make sure we examine our life, we compare it to Christ's life. He's the one we compare it to. And our life, as we're going to see this morning, needs to be exactly what Christ's life was. And if it's not, all our hopes, all our faith, we're going to see is for nothing. What is the wages of sin? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He who chooses a course of disobedience to God's law is deciding his future destiny. Disobedience to God's law decides our future destiny. He is sowing to the flesh, earning the wages of sin, even eternal destruction, the opposite of life eternal. If you want life eternal and you want to avoid eternal destruction, you can't keep messing with sin. At all. Period. We need to examine our life, compare it to Christ's life. If we're doing things that Christ won't do with us or can't approve of, if it's contrary to God's commandments, we're going to earn the wages of sin, which is death, eternal destruction. And I'm just saying it's straight, no, no sugarcoating, no nothing. We need to know the truth now because time is running out. For whose sins do we die? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, 
neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We sinners die for our sins. We do not die for Adam's sin or anyone else's sins. So don't let someone try to tell you that don't worry about it. You were born that way. You can't stop sinning. If that was true, then Christ would have failed. We, is there a way, is there any way to escape having to die for our sins? And I gave you a hint already. There is hope for every one of us, but only in one way. By fastening ourselves to Christ and exerting every energy to attain to what? The perfection of his character. That means no sinning, period. If we're still messing with things that we know we shouldn't be, then there's no hope. It's time to put away all sin. Now, not tomorrow. This goody-goody religion that makes light of sin and that is forever dwelling upon the love of God to the sinner encourages the sinner to believe that God will save him while he continues in sin, and he knows it to be sin. God cannot... Well, he threw Satan and, he, and most of the, many of the angels out of heaven because of disobedience to God's commandments, sin. Now, if he lets others in who are still sinning, he's going to have to apologize to Satan and the other angels and accept them back. Don't kid yourself. Sin is not going to be allowed back into heaven. This is the way that many are doing who profess to believe present truth. Many of us haven't compared our lives side by side to Christ. We compare it to someone else's. Bad mistake. And we talk about unity and loving each other. The only way that's going to happen, I'm learning, is that we have to be precisely like Christ and a partaker of his divine nature, each of us individually. And if each of us individually have done that, we will all be in unity with each other because we'll be perfectly Christ-like in everything we say and do. Any other way of trying to get along and, and help each other change is doomed to failure. Won't work. Seems like a good idea, but doesn't work. The only way, there's only one way. How many ways are there to heaven? Who is that way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And yet we still keep trying to come to him by us and our friends around us. Wrong choice. Won't work. 
It seems like it might. As I've learned, if I try to change everyone around me and you all treat me very nice and lovingly and kind, I don't have a problem being a Christian. But if one of you ticks me off and I get angry, I've lost it. I've sinned. I, who, so who, who is the easiest to change? Can I change you very easily? I can try, but it doesn't work usually. You get mad and get angry if I try to make you do right and don't treat me wrong. But I can change myself. I have willpower, and I'm, we're going to share that with you yet here. My willpower given to Christ, I can change myself, and I can be successful at that. And if I change myself and you change yourself to be like Christ, we're going to get along just fine because we'll both have stopped sinning. This is really so neat. It is so amazingly, awesomely easy, except that we don't get it because Satan has confused us. How can we attain to the perfection of Christ's character? But the teachings of Christ must previously have been stored in the mind in order for the Spirit of God to bring them to our remembrance in the time of peril. What's the time of peril? It's when we're being tempted, when we're about ready to blow our top and tell our spouse or our family or our friends or someone what we think of them. I just got to tell you how I really hate what you do to me. That's wrong. It won't get you where you want to go. That's not going to be happening in heaven. And the ones who do it here will not be in heaven. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If we don't have God's word hidden in our heart, we will end up sinning against him. It's absolutely essential that we have that word in our heart. Memorization is ideal. It can't be brought to our memory if it wasn't put there to start with. Here are the three texts. Here are three texts it would be wise to store in our minds. I found these very powerful. A while back, I was struggling to try to quit doing things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. And so I said, I need some promises. So I went to the ABC and started looking for books on promises. Boy, was that a waste of time and a waste of money. I came away with books of a lot of promises, but they didn't help me in any way, shape, or form to overcome the temptations in my life that I needed to. So I did a search through the New Testament. I figured that was a good place to start. Not that there's anything wrong with the Old Testament, but it was a little short of the New Testament, so I started reading it through and searching. I needed verses, promises, that, would, that I could memorize, and when I was tempted to do the things I knew I shouldn't do, would give me victory. And I could stop doing those things that I knew I shouldn't be doing, because I was convicted that I needed to. So I found James 4, 7. I said, this is a good one. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Yeah, that's what I want. And you know what I found? When a temptation comes, if I keep saying this one over and over and over again, just one verse even, just this one verse, yeah, I resist the devil, and what does he do? He flees. I don't have any problems then. He's gone. The temptation's gone. It works. It absolutely, unequivocally, always works. And then there's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. What a promise. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. There's a way to escape. But you know what? We're too busy falling for the temptation to see the way of escape. And in the mirror, you know, how you're driving down the road and you look in the rearview mirror and you go, oh, that was my exit. I should have taken it. And now you have to drive another 10 miles or so to get turned around and try to get back and make the way. No. You need to have these memorized. You have to know them. You have to use them at the time of the temptation. You have to take that way of escape. You have to claim the promise. And then in Second Peter, there's another one. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these promises, ye might be partakers of the what? Divine nature. Do you want to partake of the spirit of Satan or of the divine nature? If you haven't memorized and you're not able to meet Satan's temptations with scripture, you will fail. And you will end up doing what Satan is urging you to do. There's only one way to resist temptation, and that is by it is written. That is how Christ did it. And that's the only way that will work for us. There is no other way. No matter how hard you try, you will not. That's my experience. I've learned it. I've figured it out, finally. It's taken me way too long, though. I'm a slow learner. It's terrible. What a waste of time. Trying all these years to be loving and kind and patient and failing miserably because I went about it the wrong way. Do we really need to attain to absolute perfection of Christ's character? Do we have to do that? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Is there any way around that? If we don't do this, we're wasting our time trying to do anything at all. We're going to end up the same way as the worst murderer in jail. It's going to be miserable. You've, you know the story of the ten parables, uh, of the ten virgins, who wake up and five of them find that all their efforts are in vain. Wasted. Gone. And we all think, oh, we're not those five foolish virgins. We're all wise. 
make sure that you're not. Now's the time. Make sure you have the oil. Who is the oil? Jesus Christ himself, a partaker of the divine nature. If that hasn't happened, you have no oil. All you have is scripture, a lamp. And it will do you no good without the oil. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, I suspect that all of us would say that we know him. We've seen him. But if there's sin still in our life, we're lying to ourselves. I strongly urge each of you to go home and compare your life to Christ's life. And if you find anything that doesn't belong, that doesn't add up, get rid of it. Have a yard sale. No, don't have a yard sale. Throw it in the trash. You don't want to give it to someone else. If there's something that you value highly in your, in your life, in your home, and you find it doesn't measure up to Christ's life, I don't care how much it costs you. How much is your salvation worth? Take it out, smash it, hammer it, melt it, whatever it takes. So how do we abide in him? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing. If we're still sinning, we're not attached to the rootstock. What rootstock would we be attached to if we're still sinning? I know no one wants to say it, but say it. Satan. We cannot stop sinning unless we're attached to Christ, the vine. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Do I want to stop sinning? All I have to do is ask. And if I am abiding in him and he is abiding in me, if I have been born again, if I'm a partaker of the divine nature, if I'm claiming the promise, if I'm resisting temptation, I can ask whatever I want and it will be done for me or you or anyone else. And the only thing that I want is to stop sinning. Because if I stop sinning, as we'll soon learn, Everything good falls in the train. Until we stop sinning, everything else is a waste of time. That needs to come first. That's why he told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Ye must stop sinning. If that doesn't happen, there's no need to talk about anything else. It won't do us any good. So what does the will have to do with abiding in Christ? Pure religion has to do with the will. The will is the governing power in the nature of man. That's where the will resides, right up here. Bringing all the other faculties under its sway. That's all of us. That's 
what we are as a person. The will is not the taste or the inclination, but it is the deciding power which works in the children of men unto obedience to God or unto disobedience. Which would you want it to be? Yeah, we would all prefer obedience. But you know what? That's going to take a sacrifice on our part in order to render obedience. And I don't, I'm not sure that any of us fully realize and understand how serious and important this subject and this is. There's, Satan has been terribly successful in his efforts to persuade us that this is not that important. Just be loving and kind. That's all you need to do. Have you ever tried to be loving and kind when the, per- the person that you're talking to is irritating you? What usually happens? You lose your cool and you let them have it. And then what do they do? They let you have it in return. And then all of a sudden, you're in, you, in just a few minutes, you've made a necessary a lot of, I'm sorry, please forgive me. If you get to that point, otherwise it can escalate and escalate until words are said that are almost irreparable. Let no one say, I cannot remedy my defects of character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining eternal life. Never, ever say you cannot remedy, that it's impossible, it's too hard, that's the way I was born. I'm always going to lose my cool. If you would just stop annoying me, I wouldn't. Have you ever heard that? Do you realize that's the case? You know, if everyone treated you lovingly and kind, you wouldn't have no problem being a nice person. The impossibility lies in our own will. If I will not, then I cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart. We need to be born again. Surprise! And an unwillingness to submit to the control of God. You know, we like to be in control of ourselves, don't we? (laughs) We don't like someone else telling us what to do. But if we're going to have a sanctified heart... We have to submit to the control of God. And that's where our unsanctified heart rebels and doesn't want to. What is the true force of the will? You will be in constant peril until you understand the true force of the will. You may believe and promise all things, but your promises or your faith are of no value. Or she said in another place, they're like ropes of sand. Have you ever tried 
tying something up with a rope of sand? Wouldn't that be a waste of time? Total waste of time. Well, our promises and our faith are just as good as ropes of sand. They have no value whatsoever because we cannot make good on our promises. How many times have you promised, gotten, say you're constantly fighting with your siblings or someone, and you get together and the two of you say, we're sorry, we promise we won't do this again. How long does that last? Until one of you forgets and irritates the other. That's how long it lasts, and it usually doesn't take too long. If you fight the fight of faith with all your willpower, you will conquer. Your feelings, your impressions, your emotions are not to be trusted, for they are not reliable, especially with your perverted ideas and the knowledge of your broken promises and your forfeited pledges. They weaken your confidence in yourself and the faith of others in you. People around you say, yeah, I give up on that guy. He's always doing things to annoy me. It doesn't work to make promises. We break them. How do we put our will on the side of faith and action? Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We need God doing the work. We can't do it. We have to be born again. It is for you to yield up your will to the will of Jesus Christ. And as you do this, God will immediately take possession and work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Your whole nature will then be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ and even your thoughts will be subject to him. Wow. This is the key. You cannot control your impulses, your emotions, as you may desire, but you can control the will. And you may, and you can make an entire change in your life. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ doesn't dwell in us, there's no hope of glory. And Christ does not dwell in anyone who's still sinning and knows that they are. There's no hope of glory if we don't have Christ in us. And Christ will not dwell in a heart that is not fully surrendered, fully committed, and has stopped sinning. Now we're going to get more into that. I like to say, this is my own, what I've concluded for myself, my will plus Christ's power equals true willpower. My will by itself is worthless. You will be in constant peril until you understand the true force of the will. You may believe and promise all things, but your promises or your faith are of no value until you put your will on the side of faith and action. If you fight the fight of faith with all your willpower, you will conquer. Your, re your feelings, your impressions, your emotions are not to be trusted, for they are not reliable. 
So what is the result of yielding our will, our will to Christ? None need fail of attaining in his or her fear to perfection of Christian character. Perfection of Christian character is in the reach of each and every one of us. By the sacrifice of Christ, provision has been made for the believer to receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's no excuse for us not obtaining it. None. God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character. In his humanity, in his humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil. That's what our life must be. Exactly that. The Savior showed that through cooperation with divinity, human beings like you and me may in this life attain to the same perfection of character that he did. He never sinned by even a thought. And so we can and must, if there's going to be any opportunity for us to be in heaven, no one who is still sinning will be in heaven. We have to stop now. In his humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance evil, the Savior showed. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> you get carried away with this. Do we have to attain to the perfection of his character before Christ comes? Or will there be an opportunity to learn to do that when we get to heaven? Can we put it off? And there shall no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever work the abomination or make it a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is going to be no opportunity to change. It's here and now that has to, the change has to come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself and his church when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people. Then he will come to claim them as his own. What is he waiting for? Us. And what is he waiting for us to do? If we don't have his character perfectly reproduced in us, he isn't going to come to claim us as his own. And all our efforts, all our tithing, all our Sabbath keeping, like Nicodemus's, he was, he was sure of perfection, except Jesus says, no, you've you got to be born again. You've got to stop sinning. Is it really, truly possible to have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced in us? If it is possible, then how is it possible? There was in him nothing that responded to Satan's sophistry. He did not consent to sin. Not even by a thought did he yield to temptation. So it may be with us. Christ's humanity was united with divinity. That has to happen for us. He was fitted for the conflict by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he came to make us partakers of the divine nature. That has to happen. So long as we are united to him by faith, Sin has no more dominion over us. That's the only way we can reach that point. God reaches for the hand of faith in us to direct to lay fast hold upon the divinity of Christ that we may attain to perfection of character. And that's why I shared those, 
those promises with you. That's the only way that I know that we can put our hand in the hand of Christ and be a partaker of his divine nature and never have to yield. I'm not going to claim that I'm free from sin. I'm simply claiming that as long as I follow this process that is being outlined in this discourse, that I don't need to be sinning. Victory over all temptations is entirely possible. But it depends on if I adhere to this rigorously, as Christ did. By the way, if I make a mistake and accidentally fall for the temptation, what do I have to do right away? Blame someone else, right? Like Eve? Isn't that not what you usually do? Blame someone else? What would happen if I blame someone else? Then it's choosing deliberately to sin. So far, all I've had is I accidentally sin. And as soon as I realize I have, if I immediately confess that sin, I'm forgiven. But if I blame someone else and say it wasn't my fault, then I'm guilty of uh, intentional sin. Yes, I can confess it, but the problem with intentional sins is I did it on purpose and I'm not sorry. If I'm not sorry, I'm not going to be forgiven because sorry involves giving up the sinning. Do we have to obey God's commandments perfectly all the time? But while God can be just, oh, I love this. When we found this, this was absolutely a, a watershed moment. It was just, we, we thought, wow, well, how did we miss this for so long? But while God can be just and yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. You've got to be born again, Nicodemus. And in order for man to retain justification, in order to retain forgiveness, what do we have to do? There must be continual, continuous obedience to all God's commandments. So we get down, we are born again, we confess, and then we go back to sinning. We lost everything. All gone. There, from that moment, but here's what's interesting and extremely amazing. You, you can be born again. You can be justified that very moment, you, that which means forgiveness. And by continuous obedience to all God's commandments, from that moment forward, you are being, as we're going to see, sanctified. So how long does it take to be sanctified? Let's find out. Sanctification is a progressive work. What does it mean to be progressive? On, thank you, I like that, ongoing. And the rest of you weren't wrong necessarily, but I just like the way Don put it, ongoing. Sanctification is an ongoing work. 
the successive steps are set before us in the words of Peter, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brother kindness, and to brother kindness charity. If I tried to do all that by myself, there's no way I'd make it. I have to have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Take her divine name. For if these things be in you, and ye abound, they make you all, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how long does it take to reach per- perfection? The germination of the seed represents the beginning of spiritual life, and the development of the plant is a beautiful figure of Christian growth. As in nature, so in grace, there can be no life without growth. The plant must either grow or die. As its grace, as its growth is silent and imperceptible, but continuous, so is the development of the Christian life. And this is the part that was another watershed moment when we discovered it. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. From the moment we choose to be born again and to render continuous obedience, our life may be perfect from that moment onward. But yet, we're still being sanctified daily, ongoing. As long as you are alive, you have to continue to render perfect obedience in order to be continuously sanctified and in order to retain justification, which is forgiveness. Continuous obedience is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. And Satan has persuaded us that it's not. That we can sin occasionally and still be saved. Wrong. Lie. Satanic lie. I just checked yesterday before sundown. <laughs> um, in my garden, I'd planted some seeds early in the week. So I went out to make sure they were watered enough so they wouldn't dry out too bad over the Sabbath, the weekend. And they sprouted. <laughs> they were up. And it's amazing. These little seeds are absolutely perfect. But I had to bury the seeds in the ground. They had to be born again. They had to die to self what they were at that time. Now they're absolutely perfect, and they will continue to be perfect as long as they grow and get more to the size that they're supposed to be when they're mature. It's a good way of helping you to understand what we need to be doing in our lives. We can be perfect from the moment we're born again by continuous obedience, just like that little seedling. But when you go out there to that seedling that you planted, and depending on what kind it is, you're going to expect some fruit in it. Are you going to get to pick it the next day after it sprouts? No. Don't expect a newly born-again Christian to be bearing all the fruits of the Spirit. But they still can be perfect from the day and the moment they're born again. Are we expected to bear fruit? Of course. It is not enough that they are trees in the garden of God. They are to answer his expectation by bearing fruit. I don't leave a plant in my garden for long if it doesn't bear fruit. It's just taking up space. It's a waste of space. God doesn't leave us in his garden for long if we don't bear fruit either. But you can't bear fruit if you're not rendering continuous obedience. 
He holds them accountable for their failure to accomplish all the good which they could have done through his grace, strengthening them. In the books of heaven, they are registered as cumbers of the ground. What did he say to the fig tree? About the fig tree? He went to the fig tree and saw lots of leaves, which according to how the fig tree grows is a good idea. You expect to see fruit when there's lots of leaves. And it says, Christ searched the boughs from top to bottom. And there's this beautiful tree. Looked like it was perfect. But there was no fruit. That means it was not, you know, you apply that to our lives. We could look like a Christian. Yeah, I look pretty good this morning. I mean, I may not look perfect or nothing, but I look like a pretty good Christian, don't I? All you look like pretty good Christians, too. Is there fruit on us? <laughs> Are we truly born again? Are we rending continuous obedience? If not, we're going to be labeled as cumbers of the ground. And what happens to those who are cumbers of the ground? Cut down, right? You cut down, tossed into the burning lake of fire. And a life that had such great promise is wasted. Totally wasted. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Do I need to strive to bear fruit? No. The plant doesn't strive to bear fruit. It just grows, and the fruit shows up. If I strive to bear fruit and try to be loving and kind, how, how well does that work usually? It works fine until someone irritates me. We need to focus on daily sanctification, not fruit bearing. In other words, what I'm learning is that I need to focus on changing myself to be exactly like Christ. That's my task every waking moment of every day now. And I urge all of you to adopt that as your lifestyle. No other way will give you success in resisting the temptations of Satan. You can try it, but I'll tell you what, if you fail, you're not going to get a second chance. When Christ comes, Either you've got oil or you don't. That should be serious enough that we start making sure that the way we're living our life will make sure that we have oil. Because without the oil, you can carry your Bible as much as you want. You can read it as much as you want. You can take the whole spirit of prophecies and carry it with you and read it as much as you want. But if you don't have the oil, it'll all be for nothing. Let's have prayer. Our Father in heaven, may we realize the need of relying totally and entirely upon you and being born again. May we finally get it like Nicodemus did. 
may be willing to not only confess, but to surrender our life and resist the temptations, be a partaker of your divine nature, and render continuous obedience to all your commandments. As you said, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. May we retain forgiveness, justification, and daily, daily, moment by moment, render continuous obedience so that we will continuously be sanctified so that, when, so that we can be those people that you're looking for. When Christ's character, as you promised, is perfectly reproduced in us, then you'll come to claim us as his own. And I so want to go home soon, Lord. And I pray that everyone here wants that as badly as I do. In Jesus' name, amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer Health and Missions <laughs>